0: We'll return to the Book of John, and we'll be in chapter 18 and read verses 1 through 14. And we have, through the course of the last couple of years, been making our way all the way through John. We've started at John 1:1 and and got all the way through uh, the Upper Room discourse and the High Priestly Prayer uh, that was in chapter 17 and. And so now we're going to get to the arrest of Jesus and and we'll follow John's account of the arrest and there's some trials going back and forth and and the death of Christ and and the resurrection and and there. Uh, But as we do that and and come to this, uh, the arrest of Jesus in this account, in this passage, uh, we're making some assumptions here Uh, and this is a widely held assumption that John had access to some of the other Gospels. John was the last Gospel written, and it seems that he had access to at least one of the other Gospels, if not two, or maybe all three by the time he wrote this, and and so we'll make that assumption along the way. Uh, John doesn't repeat some of the things that are written in some of the other Gospels, Uh, He will add some detail to some things. We get a name, Malchus, today that we wouldn't have had if if John hadn't written this. Um, But also, John seems to assume that we have access to the other Gospels, because he'll make reference to things that he didn't really explain, almost as though he knows we're going to know this already. And so we're assuming between John and us that we all know Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or at least some of that. And uh, so we'll uh, read John's account of the arrest here. Once again, this is coming off of of what we call the upper room discourse, where he was with his disciples, teaching them. Then he prayed for them and for us uh, in chapter 17, and now we come to John chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, this account we have of Christ, and this arrest, and the hope we have even in this arrest. And as we look at it, Lord, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, that we will inwardly digest your truth, Lord, and be strengthened by it. For your glory, through Jesus Christ, amen. As I've mentioned uh, before, the arrest and death and resurrection of Christ is the highlights of, of all the Gospels. Uh, it is everything. They, they don't all mention the birth of Christ, but they all highlights the death of christ it was uh what the old testament was leading to uh, now that that we can see that now that that we have scripture with us it's what uh it's what the disciples preached uh, on the day of pentecost uh, when the holy spirit fell on them and and people were wondering what's this all about peter started preaching christ crucified and risen again It's everything. Ever since the fall of of Adam and Eve, when all mankind fell into sin, the highlight has been the answer to that. How we can be righteous before God despite uh, what happened in the fall. It's what all the New Testament writers uh, refer back to. Uh, It means everything to them. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's his whole life. And if this didn't happen, if Jesus didn't get arrested and died and come back to life, Paul's saying we're, we're pretty pitiful. We got nothing then. His whole life is built on this. Our whole life, our eternal life certainly, built on this. And so we're going to see uh, John's point of view. And once again, John knows that others have written about uh, this death and resurrection of Christ but John had special access to some things and so he'll point some things out that the others don't and uh and he'll give us his view as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit writing this for us that that we can uh, know the truth and so he writes about this arrest and and he writes in verse one when Jesus had uh, spoke in these words, his disciples. Now the words uh, are probably referring to everything that he had said in the upper room. It may be just the prayer itself, but that doesn't really matter. It says he went out, and that could be taken a couple of different ways. Did they go out from the upper room? Uh, some think maybe he they left the upper room uh, somewhere mid conversation, and that uh, they picked up the conversation on the way to the temple perhaps and and this is just beyond the temple and and uh so after he said the prayer and now they're leaving the city uh but once again it doesn't matter but his disciples they are heading out of the city right now we see that they're going across the kidron valley uh, where there was a garden uh, which he and his disciples entered so uh, if you want to visualize this if I always try to visualize as much as I can. They're walking east. They're, they're in Jerusalem, and, and there's the temple, and, and they're, they're going east, and they go down into this valley. And at one point, this valley, this Kidron Valley that he mentions, is 200 feet below the base of, of the outer court of the temple, which is right up on the hill there. Um, so they're about 200 feet below the the base of that outer court of, of the temple, and and there's this wadi or or stream, uh, stream bed kind of that that is dry most of the year, at this point, and and uh, it it fills up during the rainy seasons when it's very heavy rain, it'll fill, and then it drains into the Dead Sea. But at this point, it's it's dry, and and so they're they're down in this. Valley and then just on the other side as they come up the hill on the other side there's this garden and and uh, in Matthew and Mark they call this place Gethsemane which if you were to tr- go back and in, in the Hebrew and, and they use the sounds to put their words together uh, but literally it means oil press and it's this olive garden. Uh, and so there's this, this garden, Olive Garden, and there's an oil press there. Um, they call it Gethsemane, and that's where they have Jesus praying. Now, John doesn't record the prayer, but a little later on we'll find that he's assuming we know about the prayer, but we'll get to that in, in verse 11, I believe. But, but uh, John doesn't record the prayer, but that's where the others have Jesus praying in Gethsemane. There's this garden and they entered in, and then in verse 4, they Jesus comes out. My translation says he comes forward, but uh, literally he comes out. So it's probably a walled uh, enclosure uh, somewhat, this garden and this oil press uh, walled. And, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place, uh, for Jesus met there often uh, with his disciples. So... Judas, now, remember, he had left the upper room. He started with them, but he had left the upper room earlier in the evening. The disciples at the time didn't really know what he was up to, and they were assuming the best, actually. They thought, well, maybe he's going to get something that we need, or maybe he's going to give money to the poor, because that would happen on feast days and and at festivals. Uh, But then as time went on, it seemed like at least a couple of them were getting a little suspicious. Maybe he was up to something. And now it becomes obvious what Judas is up to. He's he's betraying Jesus. Now, also uh, note this, that Judas knows this area. He knows this walled uh, olive grove, if you will, this area. It's not a public place. It's not like a lot of people would come here and let's look at the pretty olives or or whatever and then see the olive press. It was it was owned uh, by I assume a, a wealthy a person who was probably a supporter of Jesus in in some way maybe a friend or relative of one of his disciples or or a friend that Jesus had met along the way and, and supported Jesus and and so uh, he would let Jesus and his disciples into this place and and uh, they could get away uh, from things it was just outside of the city the temple was there and. And so it was a good place for them to go, and and they went there often. Now, Jesus knows that Judas knows this place. Jesus also knows what Judas is up to. He's going to betray him. And yet, Jesus walks right to this place, right to the place. He knows that Judas is probably going to come looking for him when he betrays him. He knows all this, and and as it says in verse four, we'll get to it. He, he goes there uh, willingly. But Judas, who has by now uh, procured this this band of, of soldiers, and and there's some officers of the chief priests and and the Pharisees, and and so uh, what we have here is we have Roman guards. That that one word that that mentions the soldiers that in. The Greek, it, it makes it pretty obvious that these are Greek or or Roman soldiers. So we have the Roman guards there, the Roman soldiers, and then these Jewish uh, guards, the Jewish police, if you will, the security, um, the, the, the Jewish people had their own force, if you will, but they were all subject to Rome, Rome-controlled things, but, but these Jewish officers were I guess you could call the Jewish policemen, the, the Temple policemen, something like that, and and so they're they're both there. Now the reason the, the Romans are there, we got a f- few reasons, uh, and and we don't know how many there are now. If it's a full cohort, which it certainly isn't, uh, that would be like a thousand men, but it's it's not that. Uh, usually they would go uh, six hundred men at a time, but it's probably not that. Um, There was a a smaller group that they would sometimes send of of 200 men, and it probably wasn't even that. Uh, Because remember, this is the the festival, this is the feast, we got the Passover, there's a lot of people in town, so they probably brought in a full cohort of 1,000 soldiers, but they're probably out patrolling different areas because they were always looking out for an uprising, especially when there was a lot of people and the Jewish people were known to be looking for this Messiah who was going to deliver them. Uh, and remember, Palm Sunday had happened just a few days earlier in which there were a lot of people who were shouting out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest when, when Jesus came down. So that there may have been a little bit nervous about Christ, but, but just in general, there's a lot of people. And so the the soldiers are probably around patrolling certain areas. Well, Judas got some of them. How many we don't know? And they come out along with the Jewish uh soldiers, if you will, the Jewish police, uh, with uh lanterns and torches and weapons. They're they may be thinking we're gonna have to chase this guy all over the hillside here. So let's make sure we can get him. And and they come out here with all this stuff. And And you might be wondering, now, are are the Jewish leaders here going a little bit overboard uh, by bringing all of these people? I mean, how many do we need to arrest this one guy? Well, uh, one thing is the Jewish leaders need uh, the Roman soldiers because they're going to need Rome to put Jesus to death. So they're going to have to get them involved eventually anyhow. But also... Something happened earlier that John had recorded. Back in John chapter seven, uh, they tried to arrest Jesus before the Jewish people with their uh, officials. In John, uh, it starts at seven thirty-two. They tried to arrest him, but but their officers didn't arrest Jesus. And and they come back, and the chief priests and the air, and the Pharisees ask the officers, why didn't you arrest him? And they answered. No one ever spoke like this guy before. It was amazing. He spoke, and it was it was awesome. And and they asked, well, "Have you been deceived by this guy as well?" I mean, all the people are going to him. Look, we're not deceived by him. But really, you you fell for him. And so here's the thing: if they bring some Roman soldiers with the Roman soldiers, they're not going to care what Jesus says. They're not going to care what any Jewish person says, really. If they bring the Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus, Jesus will be arrested. There's there's not going to be a mistake this time. So they're making sure uh, that they get their man and and the Roman soldiers will be there to help because they're not going to listen to anything Jesus has to say. Well, instead of having to chase Jesus down all over this hillside, uh, in verse 4, we see that Jesus comes forward. And, and he knows what's going to happen to him. And, and this is one thing that is especially strong in the book of John when he writes about this. Jesus offers himself up willingly. He offers his life in obedience to his Father. And Jesus had said back in chapter 10, of, of the book of john no one takes my life from me but i lay it down of my own accord i have authority to lay it down and i have authority to take it up again and john is making that very clear jesus knows what's coming and still here he is and and he comes forward and he asks them he said who whom do you seek and they answer him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And they drew back, you can see in verse 6, and, and they fall to the ground. Jesus, or all of these, as they hear Jesus, they, they fall to the ground. Now, the words that Jesus said are significant here. Uh, In my translation, it says, I am he. Uh, The words uh, in Greek that Jesus used, ego, a me, I am. I am. Now, that could be just a designation of, yeah, it's me, here I am. But in the book of John, this has taken on much more of a meaning, a much richer meaning, I am. Jesus had made many I am statements. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the light of the world and and several of those. But also significantly in chapter 8, when the religious leaders were questioning Jesus and he mentioned something about Abraham, they said, what, you're not even 50 years old and you're trying to tell us you've seen Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they all knew that he just took the name of God. And that goes all the way back to Exodus, when Moses said, when the people ask, who sent me, what do I tell them? And God said, just say, I am sent you. And so Jesus uses those words. Who are you looking for? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth, I am. And in that moment of disclosure, they fall to the ground. Just that little brief moment where he discloses I am God, they fall to the ground. Philippians 2, Paul writes, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In Isaiah 45, it mentions every knee shall bow to God. And it gets quoted again in, in the book of Romans. Even his opponents fall down before him. In just that moment that Jesus said, I am. Ego A me. And then it's almost as though Jesus has to give them a couple of moments to gather themselves and okay, really, who who are you looking for? And and again they say Jesus of Nazareth and he said I told you I I'm I am him. That's me. And if it's me you're looking for, let these other ones go. And this was to fulfill what Jesus had spoken earlier, back in John chapter 6 and in John chapter 10, and, and it was part of his high priestly prayer in uh, chapter 17, that he would not lose any whom the Father gave him. Now, this isn't fully what Jesus was talking about at the at the time, but it was a little illustration for the disciples of what they would understand more fully after the resurrection. But here they're thinking, oh, that's right. Jesus said he wasn't going to lose any of us after the resurrection. This will take on a, great, a much greater meaning. Oh, Jesus is not going to lose any of God's children. But, but here they get this little illustration of what Jesus had told them earlier. He said, so if it's me you're looking for, here I am let these ones go. And, and he doesn't lose any of the disciples that he came there with. Now, they will scatter shortly. Uh, and John doesn't record that, uh, by the way. But uh, we assume it's when they actually bound Jesus that the disciples all took off. But, but they don't uh, they don't get arrested, which is kind of amazing when you think about what happens next. How did Peter not get arrested? Look what he does in verse 10. Peter being Peter, takes out his sword and he strikes the high servant or the high priest's servant and, and cuts off his right ear, at least part of his right ear. It could have been just a, uh, the ear lobe, uh, depending on how you want to translate that word, but cuts off uh, this ear and and you think, how did he not get arrested? Uh, I do like uh, D.A. Carson, uh, who wrote this about uh, Peter's action. The blow was as clumsy as Peter's courage was great. The tactic was as pointless as Peter's misunderstanding was total. Great courage, Peter, but you really don't get what's going on here, do you? And You have to think maybe a couple of the disciples were standing there thinking, Jesus just got us off the hook. Peter, what are you doing? You're not making this easy on him, are you? Uh, But we get a little hint from the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 22, uh, he records for us that Jesus healed that ear. And so it's probably one of those no harm, no foul things. All right, the ear's okay. We got nothing on Peter. Our evidence is gone. Jesus healed that. And so Peter doesn't get arrested. Uh, and and so Jesus heals this ear, according to Luke, and then in verse 11 uh, it says to Peter, Put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, here's where John is assuming we already know Jesus' prayer that gets recorded in, in the other Gospels. Because if you remember that prayer, what Jesus prayed over and over and over again is, Father, if possible, let this cup pass. If there's any other way we can do this, if there's any other way we cannot lose one of our children, let this pass, but not not my will, but yours be done. He had prayed that earlier with, sweats, blood coming down his face. And he's acknowledging here that he must drink that. He prayed if there was any other way, let's do that. But now he's acknowledging there is no other way. And I'm going to have to do this. I will have to drink this cup of wrath if I'm going to save God's people allows himself to be arrested in verse 12. The band of soldiers and their captain, those are the the Roman guys, and, and the officers and the Jews arrested Jesus and they bound him. And I'm sure this is where the disciples all scattered and took off. They were probably a little jumpy after what Peter had done. And so were the guards, probably. And and what probably happened here is, is once Jesus was bound and, and the disciples were scattered, is the Roman soldiers probably left. The crisis is over for them. The Jewish people have their men, and so they go back to their barracks or go back to some other part of town where they can harass people. But, but they probably leave, and, and so it's just the Jewish officers who have... Jesus now and they lead him to uh, Annas and and Caiaphas uh, and we will talk more about them during the trials as as we come up as we go uh, through that but it was Caiaphas uh, and John recorded it earlier in chapter 11 who who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people and John writes uh, at that time in, in chapter 11 that Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And it's interesting that John would write it that way, because at this point, all his disciples are scattered. They're all scattered abroad. But, but Jesus will die to gather them all. And he'll do so by drinking this cup that he knows that he has to drink. And before we leave this, this passage, I want to look at one guy who's here and isn't going to be a part of John's story anymore. There, there, no significant part of John's story uh, but Judas, Judas who is here, It in verse 2, uh, he mentions that he's the one who betrayed him. And, and in verse 3, that he's got these soldiers and these officers with him. But notice especially in verse 5 how John includes Judas in this story. He just kind of drops him in. Uh, Judas, who betrayed him, was, was standing with them. He makes sure that we know that Judas is right there. These are the ones, the, the, the guards and the, and the the soldiers are, are there, and Judas is right there with them. And Jesus says, ego a me, and they fall down. Judas falls down before Christ. And this is speculation, I know, but I wonder When Judas is on the ground before Christ, what's going through his mind? He had heard Jesus say these words before. All of the I am's that Jesus had spoken. He had heard when Jesus said before Abraham, ego A me, I am, that he took the name of God and in fact they all wanted to stone him because he took the name of God and now he said that name and they all fell down was this the beginning of his realization that he has really really messed up Jesus is who he's been claiming to be and then in the next few moments he sees what happens Jesus protects his disciples just like he said he would. He sat there, stood there and watched Jesus perform yet another miracle, healing this man's ear. Fall down. And when Judas is on the ground, what he should be doing is crying out saying, Jesus have mercy on me. I am a sinner. But Judas had this greed, this ego, maybe some personal aspirations, either politically or socially, get in good with these high class Jewish people here. It, but it had tripped him up. And he comes up with his own plan. He doesn't cry out to Jesus, Jesus. Forgive me, I've really sinned. This is really bad. Instead, Matthew records that he goes to the temple and he takes the money that he got for betraying Jesus and he admits his sin in the temple to the chief priests and he admits it to those there. I've betrayed innocent blood, but there's no forgiveness there. They don't care. He doesn't find his forgiveness there. He needs to go to Jesus but it's almost as though he's thinking you know what I did this without Jesus I I committed this sin he thought behind his back I'll try to make it right behind his back I'll return the money I'll even the score I will find a way for my own righteousness my own forgiveness I can buy it back can't I but any attempt at righteousness outside of Christ is going to fail and for Judas it fails tragically trying to create your own righteousness your own forgiveness outside of Christ cannot be done the one the true innocent one must die for God's children he must drink the the cup of God's wrath against sin there is no other way there is no other place that you're going to find forgiveness or righteousness and and John as he writes of this arrest he makes it very clear that Jesus is God ego a he is God and that he has had the power this whole time to walk away anytime he wanted to When they were down on the ground, he could have turned and said, ha, there you go, and walked away. He didn't even have to show up. He knew that this is where they were going to come looking for him. He could have taken his disciples, guys, let's cut down. We're going the other way. But instead, he walks right to this place. This is the place of our need. And he walks here because he knows it is our only hope for righteousness and forgiveness. Jesus knows that, and we dare not forget that. If we are going to be right before God, it is only through Christ, and that's what brought him here. And that's where we go, to be forgiven, to be righteous before God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that Jesus walked to that garden, that he allowed himself to be bound and carried away, put on trial, tortured and humiliated, that we may be made righteous, Lord. It would be impossible without him. We thank you for these words of truth. May they illumine our hearts. May they affect our lives in deep, personal ways as we know our source of righteousness. It is Christ and Christ alone. And we give you thanks and praise for that. And we do pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.